You know, it's not enough to simply be fed. You must also be willing to feed. Let me say that again. It's not enough to simply be fed. You must also be willing to feed. This is the message that I shared over a lunch with a couple from my church when I was pastoring at Eastminster Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, a number of years ago. I was responsible for our new members class in the church, which included teaching those classes, but also seeking to get the people who were involved in those classes to engage in the life of the church. We had a lot of married couples who wanted to join our church, and some of them had young children, but we also had a lot of young couples who were either engaged to be married or were dating and looking to be engaged to be married, and they were joining our church, and they were joining in droves. And the crazy thing was, um, while that was a wonderful thing to have happen, there wasn't a place for them to be. We did not have a class for them. We did not have a Sunday school class for them to get engaged in. And so it's really hard when you have all these people joining your church and then you have no place for them to go and to be fed. So how do you get people engaged in the life of a congregation if you don't have an entry point for them to get to know others? Well, the simple answer is to provide a class for them, right? That's what you do. You create a Sunday school class or a small group or that sort of thing so that they can be involved. But it's harder than you realize because to create a class, that means that you have to have a teacher. And you know what? Um, This was the problem. See, there wasn't like a whole bunch of people who were waiting on pins and needles, waiting for Pastor Jeff to call them and say, we've got a lot of people, come and teach them. And they're like, here I am, Lord, send me. That was not happening there. And in all the churches I've been in, that really doesn't happen like that. And I knew that, and I thought, well, what are we going to do about this? So I prayed about it, and I prayerfully thought about it, and I thought of a particular couple in that congregation. They had been very engaged in in the life of the church. They had been very heavily involved in their particular Sunday school class, and I noticed that they were really growing and maturing in their faith. So what does a pastor do? He calls them up and says, hey, let's have lunch together. Okay, Who doesn't want to go and have a free lunch? So I invite them to lunch, and of course, uh, as we're gathered together for lunch, I I knew what I was going to talk to them about, but we had conversations about, you know, their children and my children and life, and then finally I broached the subject and dove into the meat of the conversation. I asked them to teach a Sunday school class. In fact, I asked them to leave the Sunday school class that they really loved and then to teach a class for these people. Well, you should have seen their faces when I asked them to teach this class. Their eyes, I mean, at the same time, their eyes both got big. They both pointed back at themselves, and they said together, you want us to teach this class? And I just smiled and said, yeah, you're perfect for it. You've been growing in your faith, you've been actively engaged in the church, and it's time to to take what you have learned to help others learn too. Well, in that moment, they both looked at each other. I know what that means. I've been around the block a time or two. They looked at each other, and they were getting ready to look back at me, and I knew exactly what was about to come out of their mouth. Bad news. Oh, well, we can't do it. We're busy. You know, now's not a good time, Pastor Jeff. And so I just stopped them before they could even say anything. And I said, you know what? It's okay. 
don't answer that right now. Let me say something. It's not enough to simply be fed. You must also be willing to feed. So here's what I want you to do. Don't say no. Pray about it. Take a week. Go home. Pray about it. And let's see what God does with this. And so that's what I did. Well, as we continue our sermon series today on the images of Jesus, we come to Mark's gospel in which Jesus says, I think, something familiar to his disciples, something very similar to this. Just prior to all of this, his disciples had been sent out by him two by two to go out into the surrounding villages and to do his work. He gave them authority to drive out demons from those who were possessed, and he gave them the authority to heal the sick. And so they go out together and they begin to do these miraculous things. And our passage of Scripture today brings us to the point where they come back from that and they meet with Jesus and they're talking to him about everything that had transpired. Now they had been sent out, they had been doing this, it was a really long trip, they're exhausted and tired and Mark tells us they were so tired they didn't even get a chance to eat anything. So Jesus says to them, hey I know you're exhausted, I know you're tired, so why don't we go to a remote place together and get some rest. So he says come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they get into a boat and they begin to travel across this lake, the Sea of Galilee, to a solitary place to eat together and get some much-needed rest. Well, here's the problem. Uh, As they were getting into that boat, there were a lot of people who had been with the disciples and had been with Jesus, and they saw them and they recognized them, and they saw where they were going. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you might know that the Sea of Galilee, we call it a sea, but it's really like a big lake. It's only three miles wide. Okay, so when they're getting into this boat, you can see where it's going. You see the direction of where it's going. And so they paid attention to that, and they just went on foot from the surrounding towns and villages, and they went exactly to where Jesus landed that boat. So much for rest and relaxation. So much for getting something to eat. I'm sure the disciples thought, well, you know, Jesus will get out of the boat and he'll let the folks know that, hey, we're done for the day. You guys just go home, come back tomorrow, and we'll reopen at 8 a.m. in the morning, okay? But that's not what Jesus does. Mark says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus never responds the way most of us would, does he? If I'd been in that boat, I'd have been hangry, and I'd have said, okay, guys, I love you, but you're going to have to come back later. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Mark says he had compassion on them. And this is an interesting word, because in the Greek New Testament, this particular word for compassion translates more like this. His stomach churned. Jesus is moved in his gut. His gut is moved within him because he sees something that is wrong, that he responds to this people who arrive because they're like sheep who didn't have a shepherd to lead them. There was a need there that Jesus needed to meet for them. But the truth is, is that these sheep did have a shepherd. You see, in the Old Testament, shepherds were people who took care of sheep, but the people in leadership, particularly kings, were also seen as shepherds. So we think about Saul and David and Solomon and all the kings of Israel. They were there to shepherd the people of Israel. 
Well, Jesus is in the New Testament, and he is alive and well. And during his time, there was a king, and his name was Herod. And he was the king of the Jews, and he was intended to be the shepherd of the people Israel. And when we read Mark's gospel, we find that there is a story about him that's in between what we read today and when Jesus sends them out two by two. And the story tells us that Herod is having a birthday bash. And he's celebrating his birthday, and he invites all of his best friends to come, his high officials, his military commanders, and all the prominent people in Galilee have gathered there. Huge banquet full of food, wonderful things going on, dancing, you name it. But during this banquet, Herod, who happens to be married to his brother's wife, which John the Baptist kind of got on to him about when he was preaching that whole repentance thing, she doesn't really like John the Baptist. He's been thrown in prison. And so his, her daughter comes to dance in front of Herod, and Herod says, you can have anything up to half my kingdom. What do you want? So she scurries around and talks to her mom and says, what, what do I want? And her mom says, John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And so that's what she asked for. And so what does this shepherd of Israel do? He gives her what she wants. Beheads the prophet, the one who prepares the way for Jesus. You see, this shepherd of Israel is a bad shepherd. He was corrupt at best, only looking out for himself and using his sheep for his own benefit. So when Jesus saw these people who had come to him on that particular day, even though they were exhausted and hadn't had anything to eat, he saw them as sheep who did not have a shepherd, and he was moved in his gut to do something, and so he begins to teach them. He responds by giving them spiritual nourishment that would satisfy their longing souls. Everything seems to be going great. I mean, everyone is gathered there, and Jesus is teaching them, and they're interacting, and things are wonderful, but the disciples are kind of paying attention, and the sun's about to go down, it's getting late, and they get a little concerned about the people who have gathered there because those people rushed over to be there. They weren't planning to stay late, and many of them didn't pack anything with them to eat. So they decided to go to Jesus and to see if they could get him to let them go. They tell him, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Jesus was so caught up in his teaching that he's forgotten that they're in the middle of nowhere. So the disciples, I mean, they're there to keep him in check, and they're going to do the right thing, and they go and interrupt him and let him know it's time to send them home, let them go get something to eat. Their intentions are good, but Jesus shocks them with his response. You give them something to eat. Huh? I mean, according to Mark, there's... 5,000 men there, and I, I'm going on a limb here, but I would say there's probably women and children there too, okay? So if there's 5,000 men, that means there's a lot more than 5,000 people there. How on earth are they going to feed that many people? I can only imagine in that moment when they hear Jesus say, you give them something to eat, they're kind of like, wait a minute, the sort of sarcasm comes back at Jesus, right? Sometimes we have to read the Bible, and it's not all serious all the time. There's got to be a little bit of sarcasm there. Uh, that would take more than half a year's wages, Jesus. I mean, are we to go and spend that much money? Give it to them to eat? I mean, come on. Really? I mean, Judas is the treasurer, right? 
He's the one that's got the credit card, and the credit card doesn't even have that much purchasing power on it. So what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Why would Jesus even ask them to feed this group? I mean, this is an absurd request of him. And Jesus knows they're incapable of doing such things, doesn't he? But then Jesus pushes further. And he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go. Go. Go and see. Go check it out. I think it's in this moment that they realize Jesus is not joking. And now, okay, what are we supposed to do? So they begin to go out into the crowds, and they begin to ask if anyone has anything that they can spare. And as they do that, there are some folks there who certainly have some things, but the majority of people have nothing. They've brushed over there. They didn't bring anything. But there is at least one, maybe several folks, who contribute something to them, which amounts to five loaves and two fish. Now, it's very little to work with, but they give it to Jesus anyway, and that's when the miraculous happens. Jesus takes what they've given him, he takes these loaves and these fish, and he gives thanks to God, and he breaks the bread, and he distributes that to his disciples, and he takes the fish and blesses it, and he gives it to them, and he distributes it to the disciples, and he tells them to go and to give it to everybody who is there. And the disciples do as Jesus asks And it says, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Now, Jesus didn't get out his pocket knife and, you know, just cut off a little piece so that 5,000 people could have a sliver of it. We're not talking about a simple little communion snack like we have in worship here. What Jesus and what Mark is saying in here is that they had a buffet of bread and fish. They ate as much as they wanted. They were all satisfied. And not only that, there were leftovers to be found as well. Jesus feeds the multitudes that have gathered there with a small offering. See, Jesus just doesn't care about our spiritual nourishment. He also cares about our physical nourishment as well. And instead of just manifesting bread from heaven as God did in the Old Testament with Moses when the Israelites were in the wilderness, Jesus commands his disciples to participate in his work. I mean, if you think about it, isn't this what they were doing prior to this anyway? When he sent them out two by two into the villages and to, to, to teach and to preach repentance and for them to heal the sick and, and, and to heal those who were possessed by demons, they were already doing Jesus' work. But their response is to send the people away rather than trying to meet their needs. But Jesus commands them, you give them something to eat. And when you look at the language, actually, it's, I think Jesus was quite Southern because really what he said was, y'all give them something to eat. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that we're much like the disciples. We love Jesus. We have good intentions, but sometimes we just miss it completely. Now, they've done an incredible job of pointing out the problems. There's a lot of people here, and they all need to eat. So let's do something about it. Let's send them away so they can go find something to eat. And when Jesus commands them to do something about it, they say, well, we don't have enough money to do that. So what do they do? They lament that they can't help. 
but they can. And they can because they work for the good shepherd who promises to feed his sheep. And Jesus wants them to quit making excuses and to proactively see what can be done. You see, someone there, or several people there, made a sacrifice to provide what was given. And they gave only what they had, and what they had was really just enough for probably them and their family to eat on. And they certainly didn't have to give it. They could have kept it. They could have been quiet about it and been like, yeah, we don't have anything, and then scurried off somewhere else to eat it later. But they didn't do that. Instead, they offered it, and they gave it to the disciples. They risked not having anything so that others could have something. But Jesus takes that offering that is given, and he blesses it, and he multiplies it to care for thousands who had gathered there. And here's the kicker. It didn't just feed the thousands who were gathered there. It also fed the people who gave that offering. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. They all had more than enough. You see, these disciples that are with Jesus, they're understudies. They're learning under Jesus. They're learning from the good shepherd, and he wants them to have the same compassion that he has for the sheep who've had shepherds that have overlooked them. He wants them to be moved with compassion. He wants their stomachs to churn when they see things that aren't right. And rather than just acknowledging that something's not right and lamenting that there's nothing they can do, he wants them to do something about it, even if they can't solve it all by themselves. Rather than simply being fed and being content with that, he demands that they participate in feeding too. You see, Jesus is socially just. He wants to ensure that everyone is fed with with spiritual and physical nourishment. In fact, his disciple and his brother, James, says it this way. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister was without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs... What good is it? It's not enough. It's not enough to simply be fed. You must also be willing to feed. Oh, I'm sorry. I I was telling you this story at the beginning of this message, and I totally forgot to tell you the end of it. I apologize for that. So this couple that I talked to, right, so I, I, I had lunch with them. I sent them home. I said, pray about this, okay, and then come back to me, and we'll see what happens here. So they called me back, and they, they told me that they were willing to do it. They're a little hesitant about it. They're willing to do it, but they didn't feel like they had all the answers or that they knew enough to be able to lead. So I assured them that as a pastor who has an undergraduate degree in Bible and religion and who has a graduate degree and a master of divinity, which means I know everything about God apparently, that I didn't know anything either. And yet they didn't have to worry about that. That isn't the point. You don't have to have all the answers to be able to do something. All that matters is that you're willing to serve to allow God to bless your efforts in that. So they did. 
And I have to tell you, it's pretty amazing what God did. I remember gathering with them at their home. You know, many of us during the Advent season will have Christmas parties, right? And um, maybe our Sunday school classes will do that sort of thing, or small groups, that sort of thing. They had their Sunday school class gather at their home, and my wife Angela and I went there to be with them. And as we were gathered with them, we were outside on their patio, and I have to tell you, there were cars lined up and down the street like forever. You could see them. And as I was standing there, there had to be about 50 people either in or outside of their house. And I was having a conversation with them, and I told them, I said, I just want you to stop for just a second, and I want you to look around. Look Look at all of these people who are at your house. Look. These folks wouldn't be here if you guys hadn't stepped out in faith to lead this class. Did you ever think for a moment that when you started this that you would have this many people be a part of it? Probably not. All you really did was just kind of make yourself available. You were willing to do something, and God has blessed it beyond measure. And if you continue to do this, God will continue to do it too. In that moment, they were able to just kind of step back and to see the fruit of God's blessing. The ways in which he takes the small sacrifices that we offer him and does more than we could ever hope for or imagine. And I believe in the God who does this every day. The God who can do this with our resources. The God who can do this with our time that we're willing to provide. The God who can do this with the talents that we offer that God has given us. God wants all of us, his sheep, to have the same compassion that he has for everyone in need. He wants us to care about the spiritual and the physical nourishment of those that God places in our midst. It could be leading a Sunday school class for folks who have no place to be. It could be caring for folks in the community who struggle to make ends meet, or maybe people who don't have adequate child care and they need to be able to work, but they need help, and that we have some way of being able to provide for that. It could be simply being a part of what we're doing in our Lenten mission project together, giving of ourselves so that others might be fed. The truth is, I mean, I could tell you a million things that we could do. It could be anything. God wants us not only to acknowledge the problems that exist, but to do something about them. Our tendency is to say, Lord, you do it. I pray for these people. You take care of them. And God says, you give them something to eat. God says, in essence, I will help you do it. And we'll make a miracle happen together. Because I believe that God expects those who have been fed by Him to follow Him by feeding others. I mean, isn't this what Jesus says to Simon Peter after he's resurrected in John's Gospel? He asks Peter on three separate occasions if he loves him. And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus calls us to be shepherds too. 
And our love for the Good Shepherd is most clearly made known, not just in our words to Him that we love Him, but in what we do in our actions to feed and to take care of His sheep. So friends, as we gather this day as God's sheep, and we worship the Good Shepherd who loves us and who has called us into His flock, let us remember that Jesus wants us to have the same compassion that he has. He wants our guts to churn and move when we see something that needs to be made right. And he has put you and I here together as his people, as his church, as his flock, to be shepherds just like him. And here's the good news. You don't have to have all the answers. And you don't have to have all the resources. You don't. All you have to do is be willing to step up and do something. To make a small sacrifice coupled with a faith in Jesus who will take whatever we give and he will multiply it and bless it beyond measure. That's all it takes. My prayer is that as God's sheep and God's people who have understudies of Jesus to be shepherds, that we're willing to step up and to give them something to eat. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.